Welcome everyone to Unsafe Space. We wanted to have a, a special tax day episode. Probably should have done it, uh, I don't know, earlier in the week. Um, but I wanted to talk. Uh, I wanted to talk with a friend of mine, Keith Bissett. Keith is part of the Convention of States project. We've had him on the show before, um, but Keith wrote an article uh, about this April fifteenth, about Monday, uh, titled "April fifteenth is Theft Theft Day." Um, and there's a cool picture, Keith, of you with an AR-15, what looks like an AR, uh, in the picture, which is great. Uh, welcome to the show, Keith. Oh, thank you, Carter. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, so, yeah, you've got uh, an AR-15, which I imagine is a little bit triggering for some people. And, um, and you're making the argument. Well, let, let's, why don't I let you make the argument? I won't say what argument you're making. What argument right. are you making about taxes, Keith? Um, well, taxes are theft. And the reason I chose that picture is because what's behind the theft is a gun. So, okay, elaborate. Uh, maybe you can show. Maybe you like can show the picture. Oh yeah, yeah, I can show the picture. That's a great you idea. Show the picture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, and and I full disclosure. This. Um, disclaimer yeah. here. Uh, when this picture was taken, I lived in New Jersey, and this picture was taken in Montreal. So anybody from the government that's watching it, it's none of your business. This happened in Montreal. <laughs> Fair enough. So I think everyone everyone should be able to see this picture now. I think. Uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, it's uh, it's an AR-15 with a auto reticule on it. The uh, that back piece, and you can see a little bit of the wire on there going forward. Uh, it has a yeah. built-in laser rangefinder with a reticule adjustment on it, so it it adjusts the reticule depending on the distance of your target. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, it was the booth next to me at a show. You've got the straight finger on the side. Good gun safety, Keith. Very good. Uh, so, and yeah, I happen to have a tie on. So, you know, my the picture is, you know, it's an article and uh, I'm supposed to be the IRS agent. That's that's the point. I happen to have had a tie and jacket on when, when the picture was taken. It was well, a, it was a trade show and I was running the booth next to a guy that was selling the uh, range finders to. It was a military trade show in Montreal for the Canadian Navy and Air Force and Army. And after so a week, me, I got uh, to know the guy next to me. Anyway, the so, argument. Yeah, what, what's the argument? Go, go. Tell us the argument. So, so the argument is that we own our bodies. Uh, that's pretty much the fundamental law of nature. You know, as far as natural law goes, you own your own body. Because you own your body, you own the output of all your labor. If someone takes any of the output of your labor, that's theft. That's what theft means. Uh, we're, we're not willingly giving away the products of our labor. So the definition of theft is taking something that's rightfully owned property of the property owner against the will of the property owner. And that defines income taxes. And the, you know, the reason for the gun is you say, well, what, what is behind the tax form? So what happens if you don't pay the tax form? Eventually, somebody with a gun comes around and either gets the money or, ironically, they put you in jail and then you live off other people's taxes. That's your option. Poor, I think Erwin Schiff, Schiff died in jail because of uh, tax protesting, right? Yeah, he died in jail with us paying for him from our income taxes. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, he made an argument that we shouldn't pay. So you, may, you brought up something which, uh, you know, I kind of conceptually knew, but uh, it's fun to know the numbers. The IRS has 4,487 guns. 
and 5,062,006 rounds of ammunition. Uh, so that's the question I asked in the article. Why is that? <laughs> All right. And I answer the question myself. The answer is because tax is theft. Why does yeah. the IRS need 5 million rounds of ammunition? Yeah. So uh, let, let, me, uh, let me throw a couple of counter arguments, uh, even though I agree with you. Um, let's, let's, let's throw out a couple things. People talk about, well, it's, it's legal. Um, and it's, it's part of the, it's, it's, you know, taxes are legal and it's a social contract and the government, you know, um, we're all kind of chipping in. They make it sound like it's uh, a potluck. And, you know, you just, if you don't bring your mac and cheese, then we're not going to eat and that's not fair. Um, what's your, what's the history of the income tax, Keith? And uh, tell us about the social contract argument. Uh, well, history-wise, the founders were adamantly against it. Um, the Constitution in Article One, which defines what Congress is allowed to do, says uh, no capitulation or other direct tax shall be laid unless in proportion to the census. So when they set up the country, um, they were against all types of income tax. They wanted nothing to do with that. Um, so they did not delegate any authority within the Constitution for the Congress to do it, and then they specifically banned it. I mean, they denied authority to Congress to do an income tax. So twice over, they made it. a country? I don't understand this, Keith. I've heard people still got around. So like the argument, like, well, there wouldn't be any roads. But as far as I know, they had roads in the 1800s. Um, Interesting. And factories even, I think. I think they had factories. They did build stuff like buggies. So, so in uh, the first income tax was uh, President Lincoln, you know, one of the many uh, terrible things he did. He, he came up with the idea of an income tax and they had it for a little bit, but it ended up in the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court rightfully said, no, this is unconstitutional. I can't do this. So they ended it. Did he tie it to the Civil War? Was it like an emergency income tax? What was his argument? Everything was tied to the Civil War because <laughs> war, war is the War justifies for everything. Yeah. 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 Yeah, war, I mean, that's one of the main, that's one of the big purposes of, of war is to get taxes. Yeah, yeah. So, so that got declared unconstitutional. Then uh, in the uh, beginning of the 20th century, um, uh, it was 1913, it finally got passed. Uh, they created an amendment, the 16th Amendment, that said that, uh, no, we're going to modify the Constitution and make income tax. Uh, make a, make laws about income tax. So that's when the income tax we have now started was 1913. So for 125 years, uh, I think there was one world, the first world something or other it was called, the first world war. Uh, hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't know if that was directly an excuse. It was used more of a social program. (laughs) Yeah. Them the Germans at the time, they were, they were kind of, uh, they were in a bad mood, you know, whatever. But it, but it was it was also for social benefits. They said, oh, you know. So you you brought up another word, fair. Like you hear this, people talk about the fair tax, and right, you should pay right. your fair share. Yeah, but yeah, the problem is feel guilty, right? You're like, oh, I, I, I pay my fair share. Trying to, trying to lay the guilt trip on you. But the only fair tax is zero. So so the question is like, you know, how much of your labor does the government own? You know, how much of your income does your next door neighbor own is, is that something above zero that's really that's what's what does fair mean right half the people don't pay any tax at all so i, I don't know is that fair <laughs> so uh, 45 percent don't pay taxes and people get all upset oh 45 people don't pay taxes 
I say, great, you know, I applaud them. Good job. I wish it was 100% in panty taxes. <laughs> yeah, I would rather take is, the money uh, away. Yeah, yeah. The problem is the, the other, everyone else is, uh, often they're also on the receiving end. That same 45% who doesn't pay anything often is, is receiving. Um, but uh, They're worse than useless. Yeah. yeah they're, taking, they're, they're taking money. And like half, the, half of the taxes are paid by the top. Five percent or something. I forget the numbers, but I mean, almost so what, all what the taxes was, are paid by the top ten percent income in the U.S. Yeah. What What, what was the uh, What was the original tax income tax rate? Do you know? Do you remember? Uh, no, but it was something. Uh, I'll uh, I'll do an estimate. I remember up. about what it was. It was the top two percent income earners somewhere around there, and it was a tax of a few percent. And they said they would never go after you know the middle class. This was only like super wealthy. But the problem is once you allow a new way to collect money, it's going to expand. That's just what government does. That's how they operate. Yeah. So it's dangerous. Here, I got the tax table here. 1%. uh, There was a 1% nominal rate for everyone. And then an additional rate of basically 1% uh, more for a bunch of brackets all the way up to the, the wealthiest had a combined rate of 7%. So. Yeah, under the theory that because you are a better earner or because you're a more productive person, then you should have more of your money taken. So, so well, the not theory just more, is... Not a larger percentage even, right? Yeah, you should like... Not only more, just... I mean, a percentage is already progressive, essentially, because if right. you earn more, you have to pay more. Plus, you have to pay a higher percentage. So yeah. the, the, the way they do it now, the idea is that the better you are at... at you know, making money, like the better you are productive wise, the bigger the penalty and the worse you are, the bigger the reward up until if you make no income at all, you get a huge reward. If you make a billion dollars a year, you have a terrible, terrible penalty. So the idea of the government is to discourage people from doing anything, right? That's what they're doing. I don't think that's their intention, but that is the effect. Yeah, and no. the problem, you know, they they muck around with the tax rate. You know, you've heard of the uh, they call it the Laffer curve. Like, where, at what point, when you increase or decrease taxes, does the revenue? If I, I shouldn't use that word because it's not revenue. Revenue has to do with like doing something spoils. useful and making money. Spoils theft, right? <laughs> yeah. Loot, loot is yeah, a good loot. word. Loot's a so the question is the the problem that all these people that uh, talk about you know mucking around with the tax rates. Um, most of them don't understand the problem that people change their behavior when they change the tax rate. So the, the Laffer curve, um, you know, if, if the tax rate's 1% and you change it to 1.1%, everybody accepts that the government will get more loot. If the tax rate's 80% and you change it to 90 it doesn't actually work that they get more. It turns out they get less because what happens is people change their behavior. And nobody knows exactly where the, the peak of the Laffer curve is, where it you know, goes from up to down. But it's, you know, figure that it's somewhere in the 20%, 30%. And they just lowered the corporate tax rate to, I think, 35 or somewhere in that from, from where it was. And there's an argument that is that below the peak of the Laffer curve. It, it might be. It might not be. Don't really know. I think that was partly driven by the fact that uh, it's actually corporate tax rates are actually cheaper in a lot of other countries as well. And the U.S. has trouble competing as a result of that. Um, the, the U.S. had almost the highest one in the world. So yeah. the question, like, why would a company establish manufacturing facilities in another, in another country? Like, obviously, because the taxes are better. 
It's not just the labor. Right. And, and, and it's weird because I think a lot of people who haven't owned or run companies, they have this kind of uh, bitter attitude about it. Like, how dare you just move outside the jurisdiction to spend less money? But that's exactly what you do when you go to Target and shop for a better price or whatever. Like, you've got money. You spend it as wisely as you can. That's what everyone does. And there's no difference if you're a billion-dollar corporation or if you're buying eggs. And and other you know, companies in other countries do it too. I mean, Jap- Japan has a pretty yeah. high tax rate. So you see Japanese automakers building factories in the U.S. for the U.S. models because it's cheaper overall for them to build it in the U.S. than to build it in Japan and ship it here. You don't have to do import duty, which helps a lot. And you're, you're, you're getting away from Japan's high tax structure. Yeah. So it's, so it you- goes both ways. So, I mean, we can make the practical argument about finding the peak in the Laffer curve and blah, 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 but you're making a moral argument that it doesn't really matter what the, what the P, where the peak is and what the, how much loot the, the government can get. It's, it's immoral. And you're using uh, a comparison that I know a lot of people will push back on because they say, how dare you? Isn't it hyperbolic to compare it to slavery? Slaves are, you know, slavery is a completely different um, form of oppression. How dare you, how dare you compare something as benign as, as helping your fellow man by paying your taxes to being a slave. And uh, it, that's, and that's a good taxes. argument. I, I don't know. Maybe some people might consider a bit of an exaggeration or something, but the, the question is looking at it fundamentally right from the basis. So a slave works all day and gets nothing of his output. Right. That's, that's what slavery, that's what chattel slavery is. So the definition is that, you know, one individual claims ownership of another individual and therefore they own the output of their labor basically they're saying they own their body because they own their body then all the labor output is theirs that's what slavery is uh, right now in the u.s the top tax rate for income tax is 37 percent. so that's the government saying i own 30 percent the government owns 30 percent of someone's body right you're saying that you own 30 percent of the output 37%. So then the question is, if you're 30%, 37% a slave, are you a free man or are you a slave? Right. Maybe you're you a partial slave. I don't know. Fair. I'm just raising the, I just asked the question. So that that's out there, you know, I posted on Facebook and see how many people say, well, maybe I thought maybe somebody come back and say, well, you're a partial slave. I mean, what's a partial slave? I mean, a slave's got to go eat and relax you know, a few hours in the evening and, and they went to sleep, right? And, and they were allowed to go to the bathroom. And so, so I don't know. I get, you know, slave isn't 24 hours a day working for the owner. So um, I've got a question about, so if, so this, I just, I'm just thinking of this off the top of my head. If you're a slave, are you still a slave? If so, so traditionally we think of a slavery in the very classical, you know, you live on the plantation, you're physically owned, you're owned by another human being. It's, it's uh you're, you're completely property, right? Which is obviously moral, you know, immoral and, and, and horrible. Um, but uh, if you instead were allowed to, um, to switch plantations, you could live where you wanted and mostly do what you want in your free time, but you still had to work during the day and 100% of your output went to whatever plantation owner you chose to work for, would that still be slavery? I would think people would argue yes. I think it's still slavery. By definition, you don't get the output of your labor. So right. the, the problem with a system like that, the difference between what you see on, you know, Roots TV show or something is that 
you think that the the person then is this the slave is going to go to their farm and they're going to like work hard to you know learn all the technology involved and how to be very productive and water everything and weed it and take good care of it and then all the crops go to the owner like why do they do that so you have to whip them right i mean you have to threaten them with violence or they won't do it so it just it, that system wouldn't work because the slave would not voluntarily grow anything and they have no incentive to do a better job right so what you're describing is basically we have a system now where um they figured out that if we if they reduce the 100 percent down to some certain amount you'll have the incentive to go uh go do it without whipping you yeah and that's that's the that's how i see the peak of the laffer curve not to bring that up again but you know at what point do people just voluntarily work so right now it looks like 37% is a low enough number that people do still start a business and spend a lot of their free time trying to figure out how to grow it and make it better and make as much money as they can um, because they only have to give 37% of it to the government right. or, or some number lower than that, depending on what your total income is. But it just using 37 as a number. Um, the, the number itself doesn't matter because my point is that you know, the definition of slavery that I'm using here is when someone claims ownership of the labor of another person. So what about the that, social contract? Is it's that this is what we hear, right? Like, well, it's not that it's not that Carter is claiming Keith's output. It's we're all collectively claiming Keith's output and each other's output. It's it's share and share alike. It's just like kindergarten, Keith. All right. The counter argument for that I would offer is that uh, I, I did in the article, if if my neighbor is poor, out of work, poor, doesn't have enough money to buy food or pay the rent, and my other neighbor on the right side is rich, can I just take my gun and go next door and take 37% of what the right-hand neighbor did last year, whatever he earned last year, and then go and give it to my left neighbor? Is that morally correct? Most people would say, no, that's not morally correct. So then the question is, if it's not morally correct for me to do it, then why is it morally correct for a collective of people to do it? Like and what government. are the answers that you get for this? What is the, what's the justification? Uh, typically, I get a blank stare or uh, I get accused of being racist. Oh, I see. You just <laughs> break out the ad hominem on that one. Ad, ad hominem or confusion are the two normal responses. <laughs> and every once in a while, a thumbs, thumbs up from someone who actually understands the argument. Yeah. So I do find some people understand the argument. Um, and, and you know, if, if somebody objects to this, I'm still waiting because the article came out yesterday. It was published yesterday. Um, so I'm waiting for responses. Like, and, and my prepared question is, well, how do you define slavery? If income tax right. isn't slavery, what's your definition? Right. What's That's your definition of partial slavery? And, right. you know, the people I've had, a, I've had a lot of debates online about the fair tax. and. Mm -hmm. It's not fair because the only fair income tax rate is zero. Anything that's yeah. positive is not fair. Negative rates are not fair either. You know, the, the, the bottom 30, 40% of people that get money from the government, that's not fair either because it's taking money from somebody else. And what about the pragmatists who are going to say like, well, how would we, I mean, I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but how would we fund the government? What would we, the government would have no money, Keith. What would, what would happen? The, the entire industrial revolution happened before income taxes. So, I mean, they put railroads across the country. They invented the telephone. Uh, they invented the electric light bulb and lit up everywhere. Um, they switched from using whale oil and wood heat 
and uh, horses to get around to trains and and local and trains and cars and and uh, heating with uh, oil. Um, all that happened before income taxes. So so that's the question: is like why were there roads in 1850? Um, it was possible to. I mean, in 1776, people from all 13 colonies got on a road and went to Philly, right? And had a convention. Yeah. So like, how did they get there? <laughs> There, yeah. there was no government. There's no government at all, right? There's no central government at all. There's only 13 independent sovereign states uh, in 1770. Before 1776, there were colonies. Uh, the British government was not funding the roads. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, so that's the answer. Is like, how did all that happen? Yeah. Most people don't know that the income tax started in 1913. It's part of the Great Society. It's, it's the, they, the they Woodrow Wilson era. They think it's it's always been there, and, and the 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 deal is that at the time um, the federal government didn't spend as much. Uh, you know, I, I Thomas Jefferson, he you know he was president in the eighteen oh one or something like that. Uh, when he got elected, he was against the expansion that had happened. You know, in the two terms before him, yeah. um, they had grown the government enormously, and he thought this was a terrible thing, and they needed to reduce the uh, the scope of the government. And uh, I, I wrote the number down here. Let me find it. I don't see it, but I, I, 139. So when Thomas Jefferson took office, there were 139 federal employees. And he thought that was ludicrous. It meant the federal government was doing way too much. <laughs> what could they possibly need 139 employees for? I don't think he'd get elected. And so he, redu- he got elected. <laughs> and he reduced the cost. He, he, he canceled a bunch of programs. You know, you look at back at some of the programs that they tried to start at the time. Like, I think it was during his time that the first uh, welfare program was proposed. It was uh, it was in a specially cold winter in D.C. And uh, the, some group, civic group in Washington, uh, petitioned the Congress for some wood. They wanted to use some of the wood for uh, to help the poor make it through the winter because people were dying of cold. And uh, it got proposed on the house floor as a, as a bill, you know, we're going to take some wood and give it to the poor people. And, uh, it got debated and most of the congressmen, you know, some, someone stood up, I forget who it was, but they said, there's nothing in a constitution that authorizes Congress to take wood. That's, you know, it's publicly owned wood that is there for the purpose of keeping Congress warm and give it to poor people. They can't do that. So they proposed that any congressman who wanted to take you know a dollar of their salary and put it in a fund to uh, give to the poor people of Washington that's what they would do and that ended up getting voted and it was soundly defeated like at the time Congress in general realized they can't give wood that was you know that's really owned by the people to poor people they're not allowed to do that did those people starve for that and and freeze that winter I, I don't know probably some did but that doesn't matter. So the, the moral argument that the federal government is there to take care of us, to make sure we don't worry, to make sure we never hear anything we don't like, to make sure uh, nobody says a bad word on TV, to make sure everybody's fed and housed and warm and cozy and, and not upset and has all the drugs they need. And like, that's not the purpose of the central government, the way the founders designed it. Yeah. And they're, and they're spending a ton of money. So letting them spend money is, is, the, uh, is the problem. Um, you know, the, the federal government, I wrote this down too. Let me find this number. 
It's a good number. 35. So the federal government this year, they're planning on spending 35,000 per household. So, so on your behalf, they're really? spending $35,000. So are you curious what they're spending it on? I'm you have a household. mostly dropping bombs on people I don't care about, but, uh, or care about enough to not want to drop bombs on, I guess. Is a uh, that's, that's the third expense. I'll rattle them off in order. You oh, can stop okay, me if yeah, I go please. too far. Uh, the first is, so of the $35,000, they are spending for you. <laughs> um, 13000 is Social Security and Medicare. That's the number one. Uh, 6000 is anti-poverty programs. 5,000 is uh, so-called defense, which is mostly offense and, and right. poor military programs in every state. You know? um, 3K is interest, debt interest. Uh, the fastest, <laughs> you know what the fastest growing federal expenditure is? I'm sure it's interest. It's payment on the interest. Yeah, that's expected yeah. to exceed Social Security in another 10 or 20 years. Yeah. Um, because they borrow a trillion dollars a year from our grandkids to, to like, you know, hand out to people to make sure they get reelected. That's the whole purpose. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes down from there, education, veterans, uh, mass transit, you know, that's in the top 10. Like why, why are they spending anything on mass transit? Like if mass transit worked economically, people would buy land and build a train. Right. Yeah. Ask, no, I, ask Dagny, like Dagny thought it was worthwhile. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the obscure Atlas Shrugged references now. Yeah. I don't, um, um, yeah, sorry. Don't we need to change the subject. No, no, but, no. But if somebody, the idea of mass transit, like, you know, well, you, well, you can probably talk about the train in California, but um, we're here and not even here in Florida. Uh, I, I saw an analysis that said that the uh, carbon footprint of the construction will take about 60 years to pay back because we got all the equipment and, the, you know, it, it's a big deal to build a build a train line you know so the carbon footprint of all the construction equipment and the mining and clearing the land will take 60 years to pay back and and the estimate used the new york i mean the dc to boston uh amtrak line as the ridership <laughs> which is uh that's given them the benefit of the doubt oh my that, god this yeah what do you think of that train of this is another case of the government like trying to like having something worse tried to solve the problem that they created in the first place. So people talk about like, well, there's so much congestion and stuff around cities and it's, it's hard. You don't want all these cars on the roads. I'm like, didn't, didn't they just spend decades subsidizing oil so that we could all drive cars around, <laughs> like paying for the construction of interstate highways. And suddenly now like, oops, that's bad. Now we have, to, I know what we'll do. Now we'll dig a tunnel from LA to San Francisco. That's the, that's going to be the best. Idea. <laughs> yeah. So then people will drive their cars less and, and everybody's buying uh, Tesla's. Although, as you right. pointed out uh, last show, they're coal powered Tesla's. Yeah. Coal cars. They're, they're coal, coal cars. cars. Yeah. They're subsidized. They're subsidies for, for wealthier people. Yeah. There's, there's uh, quite a few of them around here where I live, but they're, they're nuclear powered here. Ah, uh, well, at least that's Which clean is, energy. Oh, that's Probably. the cleanest. It's the, yeah. and the safest. You know what the most riskiest form of energy is? Uh, most dangerous environmentally. Wind. I would imagine like wind. Oh, dangerous environmentally, probably solar. Because those panels only last 20 years and they're incredibly toxic. They end up in landfills and crap, right? I don't know. What are you talking oh, I'm about? Not, I'm not sure that's in account. The riskiest, like as far as killing people, is uh -huh. hydro. Hydro oh, is, really? historically, hydro has killed more people than anything else. Oh, why is that? Just like worker accidents? Floods. Yeah. Oh, floods. floods. Yeah, okay, dam spray and whatever, yeah. Yeah, they're okay. worker accidents. I'm mean, going to have fires. 
or uh, oh, I heard you talking about not, not to change the subject to Notre Dame, but you know, accidents happen. Maybe, maybe they're accidents. Yeah, yeah it's kind of funny that a that a building that was built like 800 years ago that up until very recently was heated by wood and lit by candles and had a lot of people walking around in robes. It, it, it all of a sudden burns it's in France, which has like the highest worker safety program in the world, pretty much. Like, how, who yeah. screwed? Who screwed that well, up? Well, maybe the fire guy was, you know, his thirty-five hours for the week were up, and he he couldn't be bothered to. He was busy eating some cheese and drinking some wine and taking his uh, <laughs> four-hour work week or whatever the hell they yeah. have going on. All right, I don't know. But that's a thread, Jack. It is a government question. So, so right, my well, article, my article is. The government's way too big. That's basically it. Taxes. So we have to that. stop drive, dropping bombs on people is what you're saying. If we were going to reduce taxes, we, we might have to give up some bombs. Yeah, that's the third basic expense. So it might be that we can't like overthrow governments all over the world. Might have to cut back on you know, the imperialism. Uh, Social Security is, is going to collapse anyway. I mean... You know, if, if we're patient, that'll just die on its own or, or be drastically cut. I mean, it's physically impossible, economically impossible for that to continue. So the government can't keep doing that. <clears throat> we're down to like three workers per retiree, and it's not that far from hitting two. Um, I can tell you, I just retired sort of. I, I actually still seem to work all day, but um, I write and I play music. But anyway, um, there's no way that two workers can fund how I intend to live in my retirement. Like that's a ridiculous concept. But by the time I'm collecting social security, there's going to be two workers per me. So I just look at it. Well, you know, my niece, my nephew just graduated from college and my niece graduated a couple of years ago. Um, so I say, okay, well my niece and nephew in 10 years are going to be funding my retirement. Like I don't have a right to that. Do I? That's the yeah, problem no, with the collective arguments. It's like people just expand it. So well, when you talk about 350 million people, then they lose sight of what's actually going on here. It's clearer to me if you look at it and just say, well, just pick two young people. I picked my niece and nephew. They're you know, in their early 20s. So they're the ones that are paying for my retirement. It, it doesn't make any difference if you make it collective 350 million or you just pick the two people. Because on average, there's two people funding by the time I collect Social Security, there's going to be two people funding each retiree. So I might as well just yeah. pick the two people. It's the same thing. And this is so the thing that, that you, know, you mentioned, right? They, 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 they are often they're, they're producing, um, sorry, they're, they're burdening future generations, right? So everyone here is like, you know, hey, we're just going to borrow some money, but don't worry. Like, we'll have like your grandkids will pay it back. And for some reason, everyone just kind of nods and they're like, yeah, okay, fine. But they, they can't pay it back. And now we're, we're suffering the consequence of that. And it's just going to get worse, like you said. Yeah, they're, they're setting up another financial bu bubble, I mean, and a collapse. Uh, you know, the next one is likely to be bigger than the one, you know, 20 years ago, you know, the, the so-called housing bubble boom. When, yeah. when the government artificially kept interest rates and Ben Bernanke said, you know, there's no housing bubble. And like right. six months later, the economy collapses. Um, right. You know, the Fed... The Fed is manipulating interest rates to essentially zero now, and they yep. have to because you know interest is the fourth highest payment the government has. So they only have two choices: they can either keep the interest rate zero, because if the interest rate went up to three percent, it'd be a disaster. Uh, the, the interest payment would become might become the biggest thing. So they can't let that happen. 
And the second thing they do is just inflation, which is the biggest tax there is. Uh, they just keep printing money and let the value of the dollar drop. You know, that's why it's worth, you know, what, what is it? It's, it's worth like one or 2% of what it was hundred years ago. Yep. Don't worry. I mean, yeah, he's going to fix that. He's just going to print money for everyone and it'll drop even more. So, yeah, they're confused about what money is since yeah. it's fiat anyway. Um, well, but that doesn't make me feel better that, you know, on two days ago, the uh, auto deduction from my checking account to the IRS really took fiat money. But, yeah. you know, I could have used that and bought a new guitar. Sure. Yeah. By the way, on the financial crisis, there's a really good book. Um, a lot because a lot of people are confused about what caused it and they think it's big banks and blah, blah, blah. And that's like partly partly true. I'm not saying that the big banks weren't involved, but uh, um, there's a book called The Financial Crisis and the Free Market Cure by John Allison. <clears throat> um, John was the former CEO of BB&T Corporation, which is one of the banks who didn't need TARP money, but was kind of forced to take it um, so the government would look better. Um, but uh, good book if anyone wants to kind of know the truth about about that. So Keith, let's wrap it up. I know you've got a call. I've got another um, show we've got to do in a few minutes. Um, can you tell people just uh, what's the Convention of States project? Um, how can they find you? I'll, I'll post a link to your article when I, when I post this episode up. Um, but how can, okay. they, how can they follow? Okay, what's, yeah. what's the Convention of States? Okay, yeah. The, you post the article, there's a link in it. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization. I'm a uh, uh, content writer online and also a podcast host for it. The organization has about 3 million supporters nationwide. We're pushing the individual states to call for a convention for proposing amendments. Uh, in the Constitution, originally, the founders recognized that if Congress itself was the problem, then Congress is unlikely to propose an amendment to fix itself. And historically, they haven't. So the idea is uh, there's two different ways you can change the Constitution. One is Congress proposes amendment, then it goes out to the states to get ratified. The other way is the individual states meet in an Article 5 convention, or Convention of States is kind of a nickname for it, and uh, they propose an amendment, and it's the same ratification. It still goes out to the state legislatures for ratification. And the uh, what we're calling for is three changes, and they're general topics. One is to limit the scope and power of the federal government. Basically put put the power back into the individual states and the people where, where it was intended. Second one is fiscal responsibility. Don't let them borrow a trillion year, trillion dollars a year from our grandkids, which is what they're doing now. And the third one is establish term limits on some offices like Congress and Supreme Court and some of the three-letter agencies. Uh, don't let the entrenched bureaucracy just stay there for 40 years. So the convention call is for topics. Uh, when the convention actually gets called, states um, send commissioners to the meeting and they propose an amendment and then it goes out to the states. And, you know, the, the bottom line here, a lot of people don't realize, but only the states can change the Constitution because the federal government is not a party to the contract. It, it's a contract. It's a legal contract between the states. So only the states can change it. Uh, if the states decided, they could get together and just abolish the federal government and uh, fire everybody in D.C. and try again. I mean, they have the, they're the sovereignty. One can dream. So the website's conventionofstates.com, just www.conventionofstates.com, uh, if you can read up on it there. And uh, there's a petition. Um, if you agree with it, uh, if you sign the petition, then that automatically sends your view to your state legislator. 
uh, all 50 states in, in the union are set up to, to handle that automatically. Awesome. Well, thanks. And income Steve, tax, I, that's a root the article. Let, let me finish. Oh, no, <laughs> I jumped in. Um, yeah. Uh, so the, uh, the article was basically saying uh, income tax is theft, the assertion. And then I explained why to prove that assertion. And then something that we can do about it is we can make this part of a convention of states and repeal the 16th Amendment and cut down the money of the federal government. Because if we cut down their money, they won't be able to do as much. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Keith. I really appreciate you joining. Uh, and uh, I apologize that it's tax week for people. It's not my fault. I didn't vote for it. But, uh, you know, it <laughs> sucks for all of us. Um, it's, but Yeah. I did wear a shirt for tax day. You know, I had, I thought about, cause you always dress nice and Carrie always looks great. So I thought I should dress nice. And I happen to have a, just a t-shirt on, but I thought, I think I'll leave this t-shirt on. And I, great t -shirt. On. I don't know. Yeah. Can you see it? Big government sucks, man. I can see it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I kind of dressed it up. The, a little. the capitalism hat on. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're all set. All right. Well, thanks again, Keith. Thanks everyone for uh, watching. Follow us at unsafespace.com. Sorry, go to unsafespace.com and subscribe to our newsletter or follow us at Unsafe Space on Twitter, or you can subscribe on YouTube. Channel name is Unsafe Space, or you can do all that stuff, which I wouldn't mind at all. Uh, thanks again, everyone. See you next time.